This is the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And I don't like calling this text the Doubting Thomas text. But that's what everybody does. That's what the Bible says. Well, that's what the <laughs> people who translated the Bible and decided to put headers um, decided to call it. I just... I. I mean, I briefly mentioned it at the very beginning of my sermon. It's one of those things where, where Thomas is not demanding anything any different than the other disciples or behaving any differently. He just happened to not be there the time that they all met. Um, and, you know, they're all locked away, hidden and, and scared, even after they've gone and seen the empty tomb and, and things like that. So... I, <sighs> I just, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. So I, not, not just like with scripture, but many things, they, they conjure up in my head lyrics to a song. So not a direct, not, maybe not a direct correlation, but for me, the, the song that I associate with this text is Bon Jovi, You Give Love a Bad Name. <laughs> um, because like it, like Thomas gets a bad name for this. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, if you say if you say name the disciples, like you're gonna name Peter. Peter's prominent. Um, John. You're gonna, you're gonna name Judas. You're probably gonna name John. And if you name Thomas, it's because he's the he's the doubting he's doubting Thomas. Yeah. Like if you name Thomas, that's why. So, so on, on one hand... Versus, versus the Thomas earlier in like chapter um, 11 when he is all, yes, let's go to Jerusalem and die together, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like if... He's so that I guess, guy. So I guess the good news is that, you know, maybe this is a way that Thomas gets some, some name recognition, maybe, <laughs> but maybe not for what you want it to be. Um, yeah, the, Thomas gets a bad rap in this text and... One of the things I, I, I really love about this text, um, aside from the you know, sketchy title that's, in, that's sort of input into it, is when Thomas encounters Jesus, he makes the strongest declaration. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. My, deeply, again, back to that intimacy piece. Like, he literally, you know, he encounters Christ. He puts his, you know, hands in his side, think, you know, sees the wounds, and then makes this very personal and intimate um, declaration that, that completely gets lost, right? Because, we go, oh, doubting Thomas. Well, he, he makes the most, the, most, um, the most authentic declaration and the most impassioned declaration, my Lord and my God. Well, he makes the most impassioned uh, declaration, and as I kind of pointed out in my sermon, I mean, it's, I, I find it interesting that, that one of the things he needs in terms of proof is he needs to see the wounds. Yeah. And needs to, to touch them, feel them, see them. Well, I mean, I mean that's, and, so, so I, for me, that's, I... The only way I know it's you, meaning Jesus, obviously, the only way I know it's you is if I can see those wounds to prove that it's not some hoax or some you know, consp con conspiracy theory. Like That's like the word of our time, right? Right. Or the phrase of our time. Well, I guess, you know, the other, theory. but I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what if Jesus had erased all of that, you know, and been like, oh, I'm resurrected, I'm healed, I'm all good. Um, I don't bear the marks of what happened to me. Right. Um, <laughs> okay. So can I be can I be really gross for a minute? Sure. Like, what would have happened if they had decapitated Jesus? <laughs> like, what? I mean, <laughs> I, I it just there's that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that, that's a different holiday. It's <laughs> a different holiday. <laughs> but, 
But I mean, it, it's, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to like be gross and <laughs> whatever, but it, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, as long as I see the headless body, you know, I'll, I'll believe it. Uh, I'm, I, I'm curious just sort of what, you know, at, at what, at what point all of that becomes you know, a part of, of, of the whole resurrection thing. Um, I am, like I said, I, I have always been very intrigued by the fact that he still has all the wounds. He still has all the marks. He still has all the things that, you know, killed him. Um, which raises lots and lots of questions. Okay. At least for me, you know. Um, questions being, so is it only Jesus that bears those marks when he's resurrected, or do we all bear the marks when we're resurrected? What, you know, those kinds of questions that are obviously pure speculation because we can never really know. And, you know, is it just that for that purpose that he bears those marks? Um, mm. a, again, getting back to that uh, systematic theology thing uh, that, that we've talked about before. I had a professor who used to talk about the marks of Jesus, you know, being basically those are the the, the, when we look at Jesus, we're able to see our sin physically in his body. And he talked about how he had caused this accident to a friend. And so every time he sees his friend, who's now paralyzed, he sees his sin in his friend. And I was like, okay, that's harsh. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's kind of a, a, well, where do you go from there? So I, hmm. I like that idea that we, so this is, so I think I'm comfortable with, which doesn't necessarily mean it's right. <laughs> um, I'm comfortable with the idea of Jesus bearing the, continuing to bear those those scars. Um, right. And I think, in no off the cuff, think, man, we should like rehearse this stuff or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, sorry, you get our unfiltered, yeah. completely unadulterated thoughts when you get our podcast. We don't rehearse it. We don't talk about yeah. it ahead of time. So, so I, uh, I guess if I guess if I if someone, you know, said, "Hey, you have to answer this. How do you feel?" Like, boom. What's your thought? I my 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 gut is, um, and again, this is sort of off the cuff. Jesus continues to bear those marks so that we can see our sin. Right. However, our scars are wiped away in Jesus' death and resurrection. Yeah. I, I think I, that's, that, that is, that, that's typically the theology I hold to, but I mean, it just, it's one of those things. It, it does yeah. raise the question. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really interesting as our, thing. To... As our only real example of the physical description of someone who has been resurrected, um, that, you know, it, 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 it begs those questions. So, person has, let's say, a heart attack or a stroke and has that out of, has this out-of-body experience. And people have talked about this. Mm -hmm. Um, where they literally see themselves do they so they again not res, I guess I guess not resurrection they weren't pronounced dead I guess they still they start they started going towards the light yeah um, guess they didn't get there yet um, 
So maybe not, a, not resurrected in the sense of Jesus gone for, you know, three days. Um, but in those instances, you still bear those scars. Right. But again, that's But kind maybe of that's a, because you weren't... Yeah. You're, you're, you, you don't have the quote, the new creation, the new body, the new everything that yeah. Paul tells us we'll get. Um, the the whole new body thing is kind of interesting to me. Well, I don't even really know if that's what he says. He just says we'll be changed. Yeah. And, you know, we, we can interpret that however you want to interpret that. Um, but but we'll, we'll be changed. We shed the mortal for the immortal. So all the things that quit working stop not working <laughs> so that they work again. <laughs> I guess is kind of one way to look at that. <laughs> but it's... I, I, think, I think resurrection theology is really challenging for us. It is. Um, it's hard because... And, and, maybe because that, and maybe that's why I... I don't want to say I discount it. Maybe it's why I, I personally de-emphasize it. Right? right. So my... I actually had a conversation with someone this past weekend, um, and I and I don't remember. I don't remember how the conversation started. It may have started with one of our charter members passing away, and this person saying, "You know, I, I think I might be the last one, le the only one left." I remember that conversation. And and she said to me, she said, "You know, when people say." It's better than the alternative, meaning waking up and being alive is better than the alternative. She said, I'm not so sure. And, you know, so for many people, that, that is, there's that uncomfortable moment where you're like, oh, wait a minute. This, per this person thinks death is a better alternative to life. And, and my pushback is, you know what? If our faith if we're really leaning, if we're really leaning into our faith, then that notion that what comes after we die is much greater than what we're experiencing here. Right. Uh, the, my pushback against that would be: death is not better. Life is always better. The question being, which life? Right. We're, right. And we're. <laughs> And, 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 and recognizing that, that death is actually not something that um, God intends for us to be a permanent kind of thing. Yeah, death is not the end. Yeah, yeah, death is not the end. Um, and, you know, that looking at the fact that there has to be the death of this in order to move on to that. Um, in the way, you know, in the way it is with so many things in life, where yep. something has to die before you can start something new. Right, um, and that's something that so church, church with a capital C institutionally, um, really struggles with. Yes, you know, we we cling. <laughs> yep. We 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 cling to our dying congregations um, as opposed to saying, you know what. Let's give them a good burial and, and see rejoice new, in, in, in what new thing is going to happen. Yeah. So there's, it's interesting, there is a, oh, so, I, so, that, so that was kind of me taking a shot at the church, right? Right. Um, which is, man, it just drives me insane that, you know, we hold on to things and, and just... Pour resources into things that, we, that, we've that, always, that are, that are going to be... That, that aren't going to survive we've always either done, way. We've always done it this way. Um, you know, so, so, and and this, this coming weekend, you know, we'll celebrate the ministry of our, of our organist as, as he moves into retirement. So we celebrate this week, he's here then another week after that, and then he goes. So, so that part of our worship life is dying. Does and that, we're sad. Right, and, and you're sad for that. But also, something new is beginning. Right, there's, like, a, there's new opportunity for right. whoever we bring in that might bring something completely new and different. Right, and, and, and what that looks like. So, so the intention, yeah. and again, just to be clear, in case anyone who is of our um, 
traditional worship flavor listens, we're, I, I'm not suggesting that we're eliminating traditional worship. I'm just saying that when someone new comes in, there's a new life and there's something new that is born out yeah. of that. So one thing ends, one thing begins. It will change to some degree because you have a new person in that position that right. is going to do something right. different because they're and, not the same person. Right, I and, mean, my, and just, my, my leadership style yeah. is not, this is how you must do things. No. Um, because I just don't think, I just, just I don't believe in that. You know, give some framework and guidelines, but blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so, so, to, so we, I kind of took a shot at the church for not letting things die. But I want to give a little bit of credit also. So at Synod Assembly coming up in, I don't know, a June. month. Yeah, beginning of June. They have workshops. Pentecost weekend, they thought that one through. <laughs> Bing, shot at the church. Whoops. Um, which just... Uh, so I'm going to apologize now for the month of, for my, on my behalf for the month of June. Um, yeah, I, our podcast probably will be non-existent in June. Just my to... sanity will be non-existent. So, so I go from <laughs> Synod Assembly back home late Saturday night to Sunday morning worship. To, to do confirmation. To, to, confirm, to do confirmation with our, to co- confirm our confirmands, to leave worship hop on a plane, go to Nashville for a youth mission trip, come back on f- late Friday night. Sunday, we're going to a, a, a We the Kingdom concert in Miami. And then here that week, the following week is vacation Bible school. After that week, family trip to Disney. And my month, so I'm way off track. My mom calls yesterday or Sunday, I guess it was Sunday, and said, so I'm thinking of coming to visit in June. And you went, no, you're not. I said, of course you are. And she's like, well, what works for you? I said, listen, the only week I'm here are these two weeks. One of those is VBS. One is VBS prep week. So you can come, but just understand. I'm not going to be present. (laughs) I will be home in the evenings. It is not a time when I can, you know, where I'm able to cut out, like, and you're, you're not going to get the best version of me because I'm yeah. cranky. Anyway, so anyway, Synod Assembly. One of the workshops at Synod Assembly this year, they have, they have breakout sessions and workshop. It's, quote, a learning assembly. One of the breakout sessions is led by um, some folks at a church who is, who is closing and selling off their assets. Or they may, they may have already done that. And they'll say, okay, we have, we have, all, we have this pile of, of resources how can, how can the death of our congregation be resurrected in new life somewhere else? Yeah, how, how can our death breathe new life yes. into something which, else? Which I love. And, yes. and honestly, that should be a model for Well, and it should church. be the mindset. Unfortunately, it's not. But it should be the mindset for so many other congregations that, that, that are you know, kind of on on their last legs, life support, to be able to say, you know what, what good can we do before we go? (laughs) Instead of, we're just going to cling to the very last vestiges, and when we go, there's nothing left. Yeah. Um, And... You know, I, I wish that was the culture. I wish that was the the, well, what, the way in which we have adopted the the understanding of, okay, you know, this 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 time has come and passed. Uh, time to look for something new and 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 throw your resources and energy into that. Well, and and at some point, we need to get out of our. Um, ancestral American Lutheran roots, which, you know, so the Lutheran church, again, I I think I've said this before, one of our colleagues says this all the time, Lutheran church grew at two points um, in our nation's history. When we imported them, meaning immigrants from from Europe came over and built Lutheran churches, or we birthed them, meaning uh, baby The baby boom. The baby boom. Yep, the baby Um, boom. And when that happened, you know, the, the... the evangelism model was, you know, build a church and people will come in. They'll fill the pews. And then we just started building these churches. Then what would happen, you know, so we'd have, we built a church, you know, on the south side of town and then, or in the middle of town. And then we get, 
you know, a group of people that got mad at something and like, well, we don't like the way you're doing something. We're going to open our own church, you know, five miles away. And then, you know, these churches grow because they're, the Lutheran church is growing. And then, well, they get mad and then, well, they split off again. And now you have, you know, three churches within a 10-mile radius. And, and, and at one point in, in our nation's history, people weren't nearly as transient or as mobile. And so now we're in this situation where we have people, you know, we have people that will drive by other churches to come here. We have people that will drive by our church to go to other Lutheran churches. Right. Because of, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever reason. Um, or, or other churches that aren't Lutheran even. Correct, correct. Yeah, just to, so, yeah. So, we, so there's this whole idea that that model is still effective. And the reality is, you know, we have, oh man, I am not good with radii radiuses is, is but I mean we have we have a significant number of Lutheran churches in in our community well you talk about Lutheran churches but also just churches in general that are options within this loc you know this locale um, there's our church right here there's some other little church that really is just down the road here across the street um, I'm can't remember what it is but there's there's it's a smaller um, not as visible but, um, and then you've got a Presbyterian church just over on Martin Highway. Catholic you've church got around the corner. a Methodist church right over here on Canner. You've got, um, there's Catholic a... Catholic church around the corner. The what? Catholic church around the corner. Catholic church around the corner. You've got another, what is that, Calvary or something like that. Yep. Um, right down Map Road. You, I mean, it's, you, you have, you can throw, throw a rock and hit a church, in <laughs> in this community, I mean, there's there's no shortage of options, and that's most communities. To be fair, yeah, it's not, that, that's that's, that's most communities in the United States. Is it it's it it is heavily heavily churched. And I understand theological differences, but I yeah. mean, what what really drives me crazy, and this was especially true where I grew up in 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 Pennsylvania. Like literally every two miles, like I I, I remember so when. I spent a long time not going to church, you know, after my teenage years. And my wife was like, you know, we should really, we should find a church. So what do you do? You Google. So she Googled Lutheran churches. And I don't think she, I don't think she went to the ELCA website. Maybe she did. Um, and, and put in churches, Lutheran churches. And within like a five mile radius of our house, it was like, <laughs> This huge list, and like, I'm like, like seriously, like th that's that's insane. Why are there this many? And again, they're they're ELCA congregations, so theologically, there's not a significant difference, right? Like, yes, there's some pastoral differences, and you know, there's some ideological differences within with within some of the clergy within the ELCA. But again, they're ELCA churches, and they all look the same. The same. But we have to have, we have to stay open because this is our church. And again, we start worshiping buildings, so idols, we start worshiping buildings and putting buildings and properties um, and history above what's good for the community, the what's good for, and what's yeah. good for the community. And, you know, so you have, you have congregations that, you know, don't do mission, don't, don't do anything in the community because all they can do is pay their mortgage. Right. And that just doesn't work. Like that's, that's not being the church. And then we go, oh, well, we can't share resources because, well, what if, you know, what if, you know, the pastor of that church is really good at this and they come to my church and then they steal my people and then we have less people? It's, like it's just this whole unhealthy, Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I, I don't, yeah, the sheep stealing thing to begin with is something that I, I have some issues with, but. Um, and, I, and I get people leave churches. It's the active. Yeah, it, and, and, you know, and there, there are times and places that one church fits you that, uh, you know, yep. uh, further I, I down have, the road doesn't fit you anymore and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I have someone I, for like the last year and a half 
my daughter really wants to come to your church. But she's, I'm like, well, here's the deal. I said, this is what I will say. She is welcome in, my con- in our congregation. Right. Like, she's welcome in, as anyone would be. But I will not invite. I will not invite her. Right, because she has a church. Yep. And, she, and, and we've had this conversation. Oh, I, really, I said, listen, I said, you're, more than, you're, you're welcome, but I will not actively, pursue I will not actively pursue you to, to come to our church. I think, you would bring, I, I, I think this person would bring amazing gifts. Right. Um, but I, I will not pursue you to join this church. You have a church. Yep. Now, if that church is not fitting, is not fitting, fitting their, their needs fitting or whatever, needs, yeah, and that church is not, you know, doing what is, is not me, is not meeting your spiritual needs, then that's a different story. Yeah. But I, I will not actively, and, and I've said that in reverse too to folks who, you know, who have been been gracious enough, you know, to have a conversation and say, listen, you know, I'm I'm going to change churches. I'm I'm, I'm going to leave Emmanuel. And my conversation is always, you know, this is the Cliff Notes version. I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope that you find a place where you feel spiritually fed. Yep. And if you ultimately determine that this is where you feel spiritually fed, we would love to, ha- we would welcome you absolutely. Right. You know, the, 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 I don't believe in burning bridges or closing doors. Well... The only time I ever balk at somebody who, you know, needs to be spiritually fed elsewhere is when they say to me, well, I'm going to go to, let's say, Missouri Synod, um, because really there aren't a lot of differences. And I just sit there and go, except for the fact that I could never, ever be your pastor there. Yeah. Um, because they, they will not allow women to be pastors. Yeah, I mean, and, and let's let's not pretend that there's not a difference between churches because there is. Yeah, there 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 are huge differences, and but it just I, I guess it just grates against me when someone says that to me. Yeah. Well, there aren't a lot of differences. I'm like, well, there's one really big difference. Like, I could never actually be in that church because they will not accept me. They would not let me be me and let me do the leadership and have the. Um, uh, calling that I have been called to to do and to be, and that's in, in my view that's a denial of the spiritual gifts that God has given me. And I'm like, so there's a big. <laughs> I'm like, that's a that's a really big difference in right. in in my view. Even though we both bear the name Lutheran, um, it's a huge huge difference in terms of how we are allowed to live out our callings right. um, and our ministries. Yeah. So, um, so if you're listening to this, fair warning, if you decide to leave and you go to a church that doesn't ordain women, please don't tell me there are no differences. <laughs> Just please don't tell me that. Because <laughs> there are. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, if I get upset with the... the I mean, the reality is if I get upset with the ELCA, there's a very limited number of places I can go and say, well, uh, maybe I'll be a pastor in a different denomination. It's like, well, I can only pick a couple yeah. that will embrace and lift me up and, and allow me to do what um, I have been called to do. So those are, those are definitely some differences that have major impacts on how people are treated, um, dignity issues, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but to get back to, um, and I know we're, we're kind of talking about what it looks like to have, you know, resurrection, new life, and, and that kind of stuff. But as we get back to this, this text um, of, of Thomas, uh, one of the things I focused on in my sermon so I'm going to kind of segue a little bit here. One of the things I focused on my, on my sermon is there's this passage that Jesus has before Thomas ever gets there about how if you retain sins, they are retained. If you forgive them, they're forgiven. And that always has struck me as kind of an interesting thing to say, given Jesus' view of forgiveness, etc., um, 
And so I kind of had to go through this whole, so what does it mean and what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the retention of sins? And, you know, is this, is this Jesus giving us permission to have a grudge? Keep, <laughs> keep a grudge? <laughs> um, is this Jesus giving us permission to... Somehow that doesn't seem right. And that doesn't seem right. That doesn't quite sit well, you know, in, in our, our, our theology and understanding is that the permission to um, just, you know, hold things against people for, forever and ever doesn't maybe seem like what he's getting at. Doesn't fit with doesn't doesn't that seems a little off. Yeah, uh, and and it's a lot of times I don't like to do this because I like for one gospel to kind of stand on its own in what it's trying to convey. But I think in this case it is sort of helpful to see the working theology of some of the other gospels in this area, and so I tend to look at things like Matthew eighteen. Where that's this is where Jesus says you forgive seventy times seven, and we a lot of times rip that away from everything that comes before it in chapter eighteen, which is the whole: if someone is is sinning and doing something, you confront them, you deal with them, you you know, you you first go one on one, then you go with you know two people, then you take it before the church. You know that there's a there's a process involved in trying to get somebody to repent and, and, and to change and things like that, where it's not just you, you turn your back on and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's after that that Jesus, you know, they then ask Jesus, well, how many times do we forgive them? And he's like, well, 70 times 7. You know, it's that, that you just, you, you, you forgive abundantly. Um, and so when I'm looking at this, you know, if you retain the sins of any, you know, you retain them versus uh, forgiving them. And then, of course, there's that whole bit also in Matthew about um, the, the keys of the kingdom and, you know, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and blah, 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 blah. So I really had to, to think about and look at what honestly do do I think Jesus is trying to say here? And personally, I think it's it's more of a warning than it is a you get to do this. Um, I, I see it more as a warning against. Look, if you retain the sins of somebody, that has ramifications. Yep. You know, if you retain those sins, they're retained. <laughs> you know, uh, you 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 know, that then, then that sin stays, that, that sin festers, that sin continues to break relationships. Um, now, the other side of that is recognizing the accountability factor of if you're in an abusive situation, someone's abusing you, and you get told, well, you just need to keep forgiving them, that's not helpful. And as far as I'm concerned, that's not loving. That's, that's not loving the person being abused. That's not loving the person who's doing the abuse. Um, it's enabling the abuser and allowing them to continue to be abusive. Certainly, certainly if you're staying in that. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I, I did have a New Testament professor who used to always say, when, when you're dealing with those kinds of situations, it's okay to let them hang on the cross for a while. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, huh, interesting, before, before you, you pronounce the forgiveness, that you do have to sometimes face and, and, and make people face their sin, face the sin before it can be forgiven. And... I think that's a process we a lot of times want to skip. We want to skip straight to the forgiveness. We want to just immediately say, okay, everything's forgiven, forget about it, blah, 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 move on. Without ever addressing the hurt, without ever addressing the harm, without ever addressing um, the lives that have been damaged or lost or whatever, and that there's grief in that. And so when we try to move on too quickly, 
those things don't are aren't actually healed. Well, there's a reason. Like after surgery, there's a healing process, and right. they don't just say, "Oh, okay, we just cut you open. Go back to normal activities." Yeah. Well, I I I use the example of when you break a bone. Yep. You know, you you break your bone. Um, there is a process through which you need to go through in order for it to heal properly. Um, first of all, if it's a really bad break, you have to reset it, which yeah. is painful. Yeah. Um, but you have to reset it to put it in the cast and let it, you know, <laughs> heal properly. Otherwise, it's going to just keep breaking. And, and I think that's the, the thing people don't, don't get is when you don't address, you don't bring that stuff into the light of day and don't deal with it then you're just going to keep having the same problems over and over and over again. And I don't think that's what Jesus is after in any way, shape, or form. So when we lived in Pennsylvania, my son was significantly younger. We, were do, we, went, we went tubing, you know, big hill, lanes, snow tube down the lane. And, well, my son wanted to link tubes so I'm holding on to his tube, and his tube hops over the little little mound barrier. We get down to the bottom, and I look, and, I look, and my left hand, my left pinky, is pointed at a 45-degree angle out. I thought, oh, Ow. I thought, oh, <laughs> I dislocated my pinky, and I took my glove off, and I'm like, oh, that's not a glove issue, that's a pinky issue. So I just kind of like popped it back so like if you notice like i cannot straighten my left pinky because i you shouldn't self-set <laughs> and then of course i never like i thought oh i just it's just dislocated it'll that's why it hurts and it was of course all nasty and black and blue and it's just a pinky it's not a big deal so i yeah so i have i have like a un, i have a jacked up pinky because i didn't a lot i didn't get it reset and have it. So when you were talking about that on Sunday, I was like, oh, yeah, kind of like that. <laughs> I kind of like how my pinky's all messed up because yeah. I didn't quite do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, 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 look, I look at our culture today and, and Christian culture of our, our quickness to forgive and say, hey, well, we need to have, you know, we need to have grace, we need to have mercy, which we absolutely do, but there also needs to be accountability. And I, I think sometimes we, we think ac accountability is, quote, sort of, some sort of punishment that we're trying to inflict on somebody out of vengeance or whatever, whereas it's, it's like, no, look, what this person has done is damaging, and we can't let that continue. Well, and, and I, th I think there's a way, there's a way to do it that still has dignity and grace involved in it. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't need to be, a, and again, using a smear campaign, you know, where this big national camp, you know, whatever, um, we're going to hold, we're going to hold someone accountable. And maybe it doesn't need to be this huge... And again, it, it all depends on what the issue is and, and what... Because it's, it's obviously, there isn't... This isn't always black and white, but... Oh, no, there's always nuance. Correct. Yeah, there's and, always but, nuance. But there's, there's, al there's always an option that involves grace. You can still hold people accountable and still do it in a manner that holds true to your dignity and your faith and 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 a, and a measure of grace, um, you know. It's that it's that whole idea that man. Like I know there's a piece of scripture, and it just went right out, like boom, gone right out of my head. So I'll just stop because I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> completely, um, completely left. Well, and I, and I take it even you know the next step to how we deal in terms of justice, uh, the difference between punitive justice and restorative justice. And we're, you know, as a, a country, as a people, we, we focus, I think, a lot more on punitive than we yeah. do on restorative. Is it, is it South Carolina that's trying to return the firing squad? 
I don't remember. There, there's a state that there's, is... There's a few of them right, trying to do that's that. That's trying to reinstitute a firing squad. Yeah. Now, first of all, like... I, yeah, I... I don't do capital punishment. Like, I, 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 it, it doesn't fit theologically for me. Um, but a, a firing... I, yeah. I, I, I just... And, well, yeah, and and like I said, the 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 focus we have on just punish, 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 yeah, is to me not helpful for society as a whole. Well, our our whole our whole criminal justice system, right, is piss people off with this one. <laughs> is, is really the antithesis to faith. Like they, right. they are, and, and again, I, I, this is not a, I don't like police officers. This is not a, yeah, but the way our system operates from policing to incarceration, so much of it, and again, not all, there are, there are, there are wonderful police officers and police departments, but, but as a whole, painting with a broad brush, the whole system does not operate in in accordance with with no. scripture. I, I will say I, I was extremely blessed um, to spend part of my ministry in Gainesville, um, and the Gainesville PD is huge on community policing. So a number of years ago, this is while we were in Gainesville, um, and you probably heard this story. There were a group of kids that were playing basketball in the, in the alley behind their house. And they were teenage kids, or maybe a little younger, but like, like 10 to 14-ish, maybe 16. Um, they, they were kids. Well, when kids are outside playing, my kids don't do that silently. My kids don't do a whole lot of anything silently. And then you get a group of kids together, and they're playing basketball, and they're making noise, so someone called in a noise complaint. Now, this is not at 10 o'clock at night. This is middle of the day. Police officer pulls up. These kids are like, oh, crap, we're in trouble. Turns into a basketball game. The police officer playing basketball. So the guy is now known as Basketball Cop. Um, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. I met him while we were in Gainesville. And then this became a national thing. So then Shaquille O'Neal gets involved and donates and made all kinds of donations for you know things and came to Gainesville and did a you know did a little little thing with with basketball cop in the community. So I mean there there are there there is community policing that happens and then I, I showed up at work one day um, and we had a bench sitting right outside our door and there was a gentleman sitting there waiting for me. Never saw him before. Um, I invited him in. Um, it was cold. It was, it, was, it was winter in Gainesville, which is a little colder than it is down here, and invited him in, and we start talking, and it became obvious that he had some, he had some psychological issues going on. Um, his, he, wasn't, he wasn't making a lot of sense, um, you know, disjointed. So when our office administrator came in, you know, I said, hey, listen, go in your office, lock your door. Um, Call, call Gainesville PD. You know, tell them I have a gentleman that we, we may need to Baker Act. Um, but tell them it is not an emergency. There's no violence or anything. I don't want them showing up with, you know. I didn't want them coming in with sirens and everything and then me being a hostage. <laughs> um, so, you know, they came in and they, first of all, they said to me, they said, okay, thank you so much. Go lock yourself in your office. Um, we just want to make sure you're safe. I said, I, I'm fine. Said, no, no, I, we, just want to be, we just want to be safe. And so I, I, I watched how they engage this person, and it was in every, every, every conversation, everything with them was 100% dignifying for that man, who was clearly having some sort of break, so gracious, and they treated him with so much dignity and compassion that you know, it, our justice system can operate that way. Yeah. It can, but it often, too often doesn't. Um, and, I, and I get it, there's, there's violent people and there's people that want to hurt people and 
I, I understand all those things, and I'm not, I'm not advocating you know, that we don't have a criminal justice system. I just think from start to finish, there can be, there can be elements that are more gracious and compassionate. Well, let's just say most people that I know um, don't come out of prison better than when they went in. It's hard. Um, I, I mean, it happens every once in a while, but, yeah. but most of the time they don't come out better people. Um, because we don't try. We don't. We no. Don't, we, we, no. Make, we make no. We make minimal attempts within our criminal justice system to actually. Like I said, it's punitive. It is, it is, is not better. restorative. Yep. And when we look at the the need for it to be restorative, something I always found very interesting is you know you're and you can sit there and you can say oh but you know there are the monsters out there that just need to be locked away. Um, last year we read Desmond Tutu's book, um, the book of of forgiving, and he said something in there that still strikes a chord with me, where he said. The moment you t say someone is a monster, you remove their humanity, and that means you remove their accountability. Yeah. He says if you stop seeing them as human beings, that means they're not acting like a human being, which means they aren't actually responsible <laughs> because they're a monster, they're a whatever, they're, they're, they're not a human being with all the human, um, you know, things that make them human. And I found that, that really kind of struck a chord with me because I think we are so quick to just kind of try to label people as inhumane or yep. um, as... A lost cause, as hopeless. Yeah, as, as hopeless, a lost cause. But it was the whole... But, but even beyond that, the whole, you're now removing their accountability part that really kind of made me go, oh... It's like, no, they are still human beings, which means they are accountable for what they do. For, for many, 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 many reasons, I highly recommend that book. Yes, it is. For a, many reasons. It's an amazing, it, it really is. It's, a, it's an amazing book. That, um, so Christina was at a conference um, a few weeks ago, and his daughter was the uh, keynote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's, well, and we, we happen to know somebody who... Yep. Um, Spent some, spent some time with, <laughs> with, with Archbishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa in some of the uh, jails that they went to together. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, as they were, they, they were fighting for their, pe peacefully fighting for their uh, civil rights. Yep. Um, and, and if you look at this also on a larger societal scale, not just punitive versus restorative justice, but when we look at how quickly we try to gloss over certain things and certain sins, one of the things I think I, I tend to look at is how quickly we try to not deal with the sins of our past and just say, oh, well, it's over, it's done with, let's not talk about it anymore. Yeah. And we've never addressed the issues in this country, especially in terms of slavery and racism and how those things, and I know that we're trying to ban that from schools, talking about it, and that's part of the problem is when we don't talk about it, we don't address it, we don't bring it into the light of day because somebody might feel bad, um, and, and recognizing that, no, these are issues that never were dealt with. Yep. And... Jesus is big about this whole bringing things out into the light, shedding a light on them, um, speaking the truth about them, saying things that need to be said about them, um, and, you know, what are some of the things that need to be done to make it right? I... And we don't want to have those discussions. We don't want to have those... Or, or what we'll do is we'll say, oh, well, we're sorry, and move on. But we haven't done any of the work in terms of, quote, what, what I think probably some form of repentance actually looks like and, and, and working towards how do we get back to that place of reconciliation. Because yeah. like I said, there can be forgiveness that doesn't result in reconciliation, but 
that relationship is still broken. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, I've got a couple of those in my life um, because it's dangerous, because it's bad for me to, because that, the, the other individual isn't going to change their ways. And so that I just cannot be in, in relationship with them. I've forgiven them for what they've done, but I, I can't, until they're willing to face the problem and they're willing to try to make some changes and, and do some stuff, we just can't have a relationship because it's harmful and it's hurtful. And when you take that to a societal level and you have a whole group of people that is not willing to deal with what the problems are, I mean, this is how it kind of continues. The, the, again, this is that retention of the sin that just kind of keeps festering. Um, we, we haven't ever dealt with it. We haven't ever brought it out into the light in the way in which it needs to be and, and had the kind of, I guess you might say, reckoning <laughs> that, that has needed to happen and just never has. And so it continues to be the broken, the broken bone that has never been set properly. And it keeps breaking. And it keeps being a problem. And until we deal with that, and there are just so many things, I think, in our society, until we deal with them um, and actually tell the truth about them and talk about them and work on them. And, well, um, and, we're, and we're, we're moving in, in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, we're, we're now trying to make it so we, we absolutely don't talk about these things because they, we think somehow that will fix it, and it won't. It, it, it just, it's... it's Gonna, it's just going to mask the problem and it's going to fester and grow and become infected and grow in really, really bad ways. I, 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 grew, I grew up in an extremely um, pigment, pigmentationly deficient <laughs> area. <laughs> Just um, say white. <laughs> he grew up very white. And I didn't really have a concept of of racism. Other, well, I had a concept of racism, but not from the other side. You know, my my grandpa. I mean, gen, again, part of it's generational from from my grandparents and where they grew up. Um, you know, my. my I was close with I was close with with my grandparents growing up. One, my grandfather lived next door to us, um, so every Saturday and every Sunday, I would literally walk out our door, walk next door. We lived in an apartment. His was right next door. Walk into his apartment and we'd watch football together. And one of his comments that he would make um, every week, he gambled. Um, I may or may not have done the same thing um, in my younger days. And he always said, never bet on black quarterbacks, except he didn't use the word black. Well, yeah. Because they're too stupid. Like, that, like, that, like, that was a direct quote. Like, I, I, and I don't know that I, I don't know that I necessarily believed it, because, I, honestly, because I didn't have any, I didn't have any exposure. Yeah, you had no basis for comparison. No. Right. And then, and then a, we had a black family that moved into, into our school district, and the the they played the the one the one played basketball the one and I, I played basketball and like I kind of like him like he's a nice guy huh but then the narrative comes oh well maybe that's the exception because right um, the whole the whole race the whole racism thing so so I grew up in that in a very uncultured um, high school. My college was a small private liberal arts college, again, overwhelmingly white. Um, so I didn't have a ton of exposure. So, so I get it. So when I, when I started, when my eyes started being open to and I became exposed to um, people of color and learning about racism, it, it kind of hurt a little bit. Like, it was uncomfortable. I'm not going to lie. It was uncomfortable. I, I remember distinctly the first time I was ever at a place where I was in the minority. 
Um, so Christina had a coworker, um, and what was I? Forget, I, I do not remember their names. Um, when it's, when, and it surprises me um, that we became friends with, and, and they had a they had a, a, a party at their house, and we went over, and you know Christina and the ladies were in the kitchen, not in the kitchen like cooking and stuff. They were in the kitchen hanging out, and. I was in, in their family room watching, watching, I forget what they had on TV. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm the only white person in this room. Huh. And it was, it was one of those like really startling events, not because I was you know, afraid, but because I was intimately aware that I had never been in this situation before. And, and it's uncomfortable. Wow. I bet it's uncomfortable for them when they come into what was my more familiar setting. And it's, it's a struggle, and it's a struggle to get to, know, to understand those things. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and make a pretty, I think this is a pretty safe guess, that nobody, because you hear this a lot, well, I didn't own slaves. So I'm going to make a guess that nobody that's listened to our podcast owns slaves. I'm going to make that guess. However, nor did my family. However, there are, there are things in place, systems in place, that still discriminate. Oh, absolutely. Amen. And, well, and, the, and even, if they, even if they have recently been removed, the damage that was done generationally, yeah. it makes it really hard, especially when you look at how redlining worked and that kind of stuff. But I think that's for a different um, you know, conversation than the three minutes we have left uh, <laughs> to go into all the systemic ways in which um, uh, the, but the, the, but, this is... But, the, but, but the we're talking being, scars. The scar, we're the talking scars, scars, yes. The scars, of, the scars are there. And the scars, and the of scars racism are there, this, yep. and they're still affecting... Um, our society, and they're still affecting the ways in which um, some people have more opportunity than others. And we, and we have, so I think we have to be Thomas, right? We have to be Thomas, and we have to be willing to put our, put our hands, our fingers into the scars, the scars yep. and, and uh, not to be, not to be too graphic, but get a little, a little messy, and and, and do the work yeah. to and, and heal that, those wounds. And that's where I think that we have, we, we have real problems is we're not willing to do the work because it, it, it isn't pleasant. Um, it, it, it isn't fun. It, and, and it, but at the same time, if as Christians we want to live in the light um, and... We have to see and the, be truth bearers. We have to see the wounds. Yeah, we we have like, got to be willing to look at the wounds. Yeah, we have to start by being being willing to look at the wounds, and go from there. And maybe that's another place where Thomas should be lifted up. Thomas wanted to see the wounds. Now, yeah. now we don't the, we we don't know about the other disciples. We don't. To be fair, we don't know that the other disciples are like turning their head going, "Oh, I don't want to see that." Yeah, we but, have no idea. But we do know that Thomas. Specifically wanted, wanted said, I want to see the wounds. Right. And I think we have to have that, some of that curiosity in, 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 in our world and the systems in our world to see the wounds so we can be agents of, of resurrection, agents of healing, agents of repair, because ultimately that's the church. Right. That should be the church, to see the wounds and do the work. Stick our finger in there to see the wounds and do the work. And recognize it's not always going to be comfortable. Yep. With Christ. I mean, again, this yep. isn't, well, Jesus, yes, Christ is involved in this process, but we are, if we are the hands and we are the feet of Christ in the world, then it's, it's our responsibility. We've got, we've got work to do. It's our responsibility. It's our, it's our cross to bear. Yep. It's, it's, it's us that have to stick our hands in the wounds. And, well, if we are supposed stuff. to see Jesus in every person we meet, that means we also see the wounds yep. of that person. So, 
All right, well, that is it for our time for today. Light topics, once again. <laughs> Solving all of society's problems in our podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> we will uh, feed my sheep next week. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.